Is my mic on? You can hear? All right. Let's call the meeting to order. Go ahead, Kyle. Good evening. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Tuesday, May 10th. The time is 6.21 p.m. The ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices are prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, commissioners and department staff may participate in the meeting remotely. This exception is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. Commissioners may attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item in this agenda. For comments on matters that are not in the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public who are participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2491-434-4545. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. sfgovtv.org is also streaming the number at the top of the screen. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email at environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Ahn? Here. Vice President Stevenson? Here. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Here. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Wald is excused. Commissioner Wan? Here. President Ahn, we have a quorum. As President Ahn will be participating virtually, Vice President Stevenson will be presiding over the meeting. Thanks, Kyle. Next item, please. The next item is item two, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022-03-COE, resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953E. The speaker is Kyle Wayner, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is resolution file 2022-03-COE. This item is for discussion and action. The Commission will discuss and consider adoption of a resolution making findings that Government Code Section 54953E requires in order to allow the Commission to hold meetings remotely as currently required under local law without complying with certain Ground Act requirements. Commissioners, any discussion? To hear a motion? 
Moved by Commissioner Wan, seconded by Commissioner Hunter. Any changes? And Kyle, you'll let me know if anyone on the screen wants to jump in. All right, let's open up to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And it appears we have several callers in the queue. Hello, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, we can. Okay. Uh, good evening. It's David Hillfeld. I have no concerns about the uh, AB 361 uh, resolution. I did want to note that today's meeting is not live on SF uh, Gov TV uh, Channel 2 and is not listed on the SFGov TV uh, website under live events. I do note, uh, I'm watching this on WebEx, that there is uh, graphics and a camera for SFGov TV, uh, looks like control room F, um, but I don't know where they are um, casting it. So if they could add that to the live events page and if someone can direct me and other members of the public to where one can find this covered by SFGov TV, that would be most helpful. Thanks. Thank you for your comment. And I should note that we have received uh, clarification from SFGov TV that we are web only until the Board of Education meeting has concluded. And we'll proceed to the next caller. Hello, caller. You are Hello. unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Hello, I'm Sarah Greenwald in District 2. I'm a member of 350 San Francisco. Um, I would like to ask everyone at this meeting to keep our climate task foremost in our minds. In particular, I urge the Commission to continue working with the Board to support SFE in And I am sorry, caller, but um, public comment is restricted to this particular agenda item at the moment. This is the teleconferencing resolution. Uh, please save your comment for a general public item which should appear on item four in the agenda. Thank you. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item has concluded.
All right, let's move to a roll call vote, please. I will now call the roll. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald is excused. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item three. President's welcome. This item is for discussion. President Ahn. Thank you, um, Chair Stevenson. Good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytushaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramaytushaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytushaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Walrep. Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge and how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during this important acknowledgement. And thank you, Kyle. And again, thank you, Chair Stevenson, for moving along this meeting. And apologies for not being able to join you tonight. As some of you know, I've tested positive for COVID and will be joining you remotely. Fortunately, my symptoms are relatively mild but it's yet another reminder that as commissioners, we do not pick and choose the challenges before us. It was always true of climate change, where of course we serve on the Commission on the Environment, the pandemic that's defined our lives for the last two years and today's public integrity review. I'm grateful to Vice President Stevenson for stepping into the role to push forward a robust ethics discussion today. And we have a packed agenda and a lot of items to review with some of the more substantive ones ordered toward the end. And thanks to the ongoing leadership of Acting Director Ju, I'm looking forward to rolling up our sleeves and getting some work done. And with that, we can move uh, to discussion, perhaps, on the President's welcome. Commissioners, any discussion on the President's welcome? All right, let's open up to public comment, please. Um, and I should note Vice President Stevenson and uh, President Ahn, we're gonna to try to um, see if we can have Commissioner Wald uh, call into the meeting to participate. Just one moment. Hello, Commissioner Wald, can you hear us? Yes. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Um, I think given the uh, technical setup, it would be best if we can um, unmute you um, whenever we have um, a discussion on an agenda item and we will do our very best to ensure that your voice is heard and seeing that you are participating via phone, um, we, will, we will start to count you as part of our quorum, Commissioner. Um, thank you very much for thank your patience. You. Thank you for your help and Charles. 
All right, now let's move to public comment. Thanks. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And it appears we do have a pair of callers in the queue. Hello, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Okay. David Philpel again. Um, I appreciate the follow-up on the uh, last item, um, but the meeting is still not listed on the SFGov TV uh, website under live events. So although you claim that it is web only um, until the Board of Ed ends, which seems unlikely, it seems like this meeting will likely be shorter than the Board of Ed meeting. Um, but it uh, more so appears that this meeting right now is only available to the public on WebEx and not available through SFGov TV. So if you can clarify that or if you can get them to uh, list it under SFGov TV live events, that would be helpful. Otherwise, it is only available to the public currently on WebEx. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comment. Uh, it appears that we do have a working link. I'm gonna read the HTML address for the link. It is uh, HTTPS colon forward slash, excuse me, I'm gonna read the link. Um, it is sfgovtv.org forward slash environment live. Again, that is sfgovtv.org forward slash environment live. Appears we do have another caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Hi, um, sorry I jumped the gun before. I'm Sarah Greenwald, as I said, in District 2. And um, I was urging you to uh, continue working with the board to support SFE in implementing the Climate Action Plan. I was gonna remind you of your statement that the Department of the Environment, by extension the city, is still not financially equipped to tackle the enormity of climate change. That's the overarching job ahead. And, in addition to the 3.2 million the commission has requested for SFE, the city budget really should include the following, I'll read them off quickly, eight things. One million for a clean power SF electrification incentive program, three million for building decarbonization professional services, 
a million for community outreach on the Climate Action Plan, two million for a pilot program electrifying commercial kitchens, and another two million for a pilot program electrifying affordable, affordable housing units. 4.2 million to provide people and services so that SFE has the capacity to implement the climate action plan. 250,000 for a district energy study uh, to determine how to make the best use of the energy systems available. And of course, the 5 million to plant street trees, which is important. I'm sure you saw today that the World Meteorological Organization reported that the world's temperature may go higher than the 1.5 degrees we're all worried about, at least temporarily by 2028. And that's a big deal, especially if it might trigger any of the tipping points we've all been hearing about that mean irremediable disaster. So we really must have no other goal here than to get off the road to extinction and onto the way of survival. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And see no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. All right, thank you for the public comment um, and especially for getting the URL out there for everyone. I appreciate that. All right, let's move to the next item, please. The next item on the agenda is item four, approval of minutes of the March 22nd, 2022 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the March 22nd, 2022 draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. Commissioners, any discussion on the minutes from the last meeting? Can I hear a motion, please? Moved <laughs> by Commissioner Hunter and seconded by Commissioner Wan. Uh, let's open it up to public comment for this item. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers, public comment on this item has closed. Uh, please call the roll. President on. Public comment. Was there a point of order for public comment? Sorry, is there a member of the public who wishes to speak on this item? Yes, David Pelpel. 
Caller, you are unmuted. Your public comment begins now. Great. Thank you. Um, David Pilkel, on the minutes, the minor items uh, on page two, there's reference to John Rosenmoss uh, from staff, but um, I believe that's the first uh, reference to uh, Ms. Rosenmoss, and there's no title given. That's at the bottom of page two. I would add her title. Um, on the bottom of page three, there's a reference to uh, accessory um, as relates to EV chargers. Um, I believe the language should be can also be in, or the language should read, can also be installed as an accessory use, not just an accessory. Accessory use is a uh, term within uh, the planning uh, world. On page seven, uh, on my comment, uh, there was reference to the Northern California Recycling Association um, on the first line of my public comment. I would delete the word the, so it would read about the reference to NICRA in the director's report. And then on the third line, a longtime member of department staff had recently uh, should be left, not retired. This person I was referring to left, did not retire. Um, further on that page, there's reference to uh, Deidre uh, Tannenberg of uh, department staff. Uh, her title is also not uh, given. Um, and on page 8 through 11, I believe that the language uh, at the end is agenda boilerplate and is not uh, necessary uh, to the minutes. It might be considered confusing because that was specific information for that meeting. I would end uh, the minutes uh, after uh, or just before the section labeled a remote meeting access. I believe the minutes are supposed to contain the record of what uh, occurred uh, at the, the commission meeting, and that is accurate, uh, but I believe that that uh, agenda boilerplate at the end is not necessary to the minutes. Those are my suggested uh, changes and, and corrections. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comment. Seeing no additional callers in the queue, we can close public comment on this item. Great, let's call the roll, please. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Uh, Commissioner Wald, uh, we do have you unmuted. Um, uh, Commissioner Wald is excused. And Commissioner Wan? Aye. 
Motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And it appears we do have a pair of callers in the queue. Hello, caller, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great, uh, David Pilpel once again. So um, the next uh, item on the public integrity review raises um, interesting questions about conduct and ethics, but also the basic purpose of the commission. So that's why I wanted to address those concerns uh, now under general public comment. Um, I think the role of the commission is not just with regard to policy and programs, but also uh, oversight. Um, this commission has historically not uh, been particularly engaged in uh, contracts and grants, only on occasion, intermittently and inconsistently. And the level of budget detail has varied uh, over time. So I would ask you to think about what level of detail is useful for the members of the commission, uh, staff and the public uh, in staff reports and presentations. Um, the appropriate level of oversight on budget, uh, contract, and uh, grants issues, uh, the level of detail in the director's uh, report. Um, and bottom line here is I would encourage the seven of you on this commission right now to either step up and uh, be very serious about uh, the issues before the commission and the department, uh, because if, if you're not and if we're not all serious about this, then maybe we don't need a, a commission uh, anymore, and uh, maybe there will be a, a charter amendment from Supervisor Peskin or others to uh, abolish the commission and perhaps abolish the department. I don't want that. I hope you don't want that, but I think there are some uh, serious issues, um, and we need to take them with the seriousness that um, they warrant. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comment. Hello, caller, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. My name is Elena Engel, and I'm with the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition and 350 San Francisco. And I'm calling to express concern about the Department of the Environment's budget request of $3.2 million, which this commission supported. And we have heard indications it may not be included in the mayor's budget. And I am asking that the commission continue to express support to the mayor for this item 
And if it is not included in the mayor's budget, that it gets put into the add back process and that this commission supports it at that point. Uh, we also have developed a number of other add back items, mostly dealing with the building decarbonization pilot, outreach and education for that and tree planting. And we would hope you also would support these add back items because we must start funding the updated cap. And it is not apparently within the mayor's uh, greatest priorities to do so. So I am uh, sincerely asking this commission to make sure that these budget requests are supported, either that they're included in the mayor's budget or they're included in add back. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no further callers in the queue, public comment is closed for this item. All right, next item, please. The next item is item six, presentation on public integrity review preliminary assessment and update on the implementation of assessment recommendations. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, acting director. The explanatory documents are public integrity review preliminary assessment, San Francisco Department of the Environment's relationship with ecology and lack of compliance with ethics rules and letter ending relationship with friends of SF environment. This item is for discussion. Thanks, Kyle. Okay, commissioners, um, as we go into this item, um, as Acting Director Ju gives his presentation, if you have any questions or discussion that you would like to take after any of the sections of his presentation, let's take them as they come up instead of waiting until the very end. I'm not gonna ask for questions after each section, um, but if you have questions, please feel free to, to motion that you would like to speak. Um, and those of you that are dialing in, remotely, please make sure that um, Kyle can see you as well. Acting Director Ju, thanks. Okay, uh, thank you, Commissioner Stevenson. Um, so I think an acknowledgement of, of even some of the public comment that we heard that, you know, this commission does play a vital role in terms of setting the policy direction for this department and how we move forward. And so um, I did want to mention that your leadership here in convening this special hearing is actually really important, um, that we're willing to have this open dialogue and conversation in a public setting uh, regarding the issues that were raised in the report. Um, I, as this is my first commission meeting, I did want to just say a, a few words uh, just to introduce myself uh, and that, you know, I truly am honored to be here in this acting capacity uh, to serve this commission and also uh, to follow in the footsteps of someone that I truly admired and respected, former director Debbie Raffel. Um, and I did want to put that up front uh, because, you know, one of the decisions for, for me in stepping into this acting role was to support the direction uh, and policy direction of this commission, but also support the amazing staff uh, that have continued to do their work day in and day out, even uh, with this emotional roller coaster they've been on over this past month. So this is as much about supporting them um, and then obviously supporting the direction of this commission. So next slide, please. Uh, 
So we're going to talk about uh, this public integrity review uh, that was conducted by the San Francisco Controller's Office. And I think one thing to think about, uh, and I did want to mention about audits in general, is you can kind of take a half glass full approach or a half glass empty approach. And what I mean by that is, you know, the way to think about audits and is really about highlighting areas of improvement, right? And especially in public service, the ability to have a controller's office that it's an independent group to take a look at all of our city processes, our departments, to look under the hood and see, you know, what improvements can we make uh, in service of the public that we ultimately serve. And that's what was done here in, in this report. And so I do want to acknowledge the amazing work of our controller's audits team who put a lot of hours into this report. Um, and it's all 48, 48 slides in total. Um, but what we're going to focus on today as part of my presentation, and it may go into uh, other discussions, are the outcomes or the nine recommendations that really are a distillation of all of the 48 slides. So when you think about all of the individual slides and everything that was raised, the slides at the very end, which are, are common for every report and audit report issued by this group, are what are the areas of recommendations that the department needs to improve upon in order to address everything that was raised in the report itself. And so that's going to be the focus of my uh, conversation today. Uh, next slide, please. The next three slides, more for the benefit of the public, uh, go over what those nine uh, assessment recommendations are. I'm not going to read uh, each and every one of them as we're going to go into uh, each of them in some detail later on. I did want to note here that uh, Commissioner Ahn and President Ahn has decided to move kind of item one, which kind of results in a discussion in this commission and the policies that this commission may want to consider to the end. So I'm going to start with recommendation two, kind of work our way down and then get to recommendation one as the other recommendations are, are fairly straightforward. Um, as we'll see, as well as the actions uh, that will be followed up on. Um, next slide, please. And we'll go, just go to the next slide and one more slide after this. All right, uh, so starting with recommendation number two. Uh, the recommendation in the report was that policymakers should revise the refuse rate setting process and procedures to clearly define SF environments roles, responsibilities, and involvement in the refuse rate setting process. Uh, this action here is actually covered under the reforms that are proposed that were introduced by Mayor Breed and Supervisor Peskin that are slated to be voted on in the June 2022 election. And so I wanna pause here before we get into any sort of discussion on this is because uh, as this is an active kind of voter issue that's going to be appearing before them, you know, we're prohibited from offering any sort of opinion um, and having a conversation about this other than outlining what the facts are that are presented within the voter pamphlet. Um, but what is important is to acknowledge what those changes are for the benefit of this commission and for this conversation that are going to be placed before the voters in the June election. So uh, the way it works now, uh, the refuse rate board has three members. It's the general manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, the city administrator, and the city controller. The 
uh, proposed ballot measure, or the ballot measure, I should say, that will be voted on by voters uh, would change the composition of the Refuse Rate Board to the General Manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, City Administrator, and a ratepayer representative. Uh, the city controller instead would act essentially as the administrator for the rate setting process, which was a previously held position by the Department of Public Works. And so this is the change that's going to be before the voters in June. That ratepayer representative uh, would be a seat that would currently be uh, appointed or offered up by the utility reform network as proposed in the ballot. Uh, that that organization is currently listed as the organization that would propose the member for that seat, um, or it could be another organization that could be selected by the Board of Supervisors. Uh, in addition, where this commission would, would uh, come involved in the process, in the rate setting process, is that there would be two hearings that would be scheduled as a result of this new process. Uh, one would be a public hearing before this commission, and there would be another public hearing in front of our new commission of uh, sanitation and streets, which is uh, being put together now. So that gives kind of a broad overview of what the changes are uh, for this for this action item. So there's no specific action for us to take as part of the department, um, but obviously the actions proposed by Mayor Breen and Supervisor Peskin are before the voters in June. Actually, I have a question. Um, what happens if that ballot measure does not pass? Then what the, do we take action on this recommendation at that point in time? So the uh, rate setting process is, does require a vote, to change that process does require a, a vote of the voters. Uh, so if this measure does not pass, the basically existing process would remain in place. Thanks. A follow-up question on the public hearing in front of this commission. Um, previously, I feel like um, this was mentioned in public comment that the lack of detail in some public hearings leads to an inability to provide constructive oversight or insight into what's actually happening. I would love to hear your candid thoughts on just general best practices if this were to be adopted by the voters that you think the commission should follow. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't know the details. And so, so the reason why I don't know the details is that the process will need to be developed and administered by the controls office. So they will take the lead in actually defining kind of what would be presented before each of the, uh, the commission bodies. And, you know, in terms of what I can refer to is kind of my experience over at the Public Utilities Commission as we go through our rate setting process. And so uh, we do have a rate, a rate fairness board uh, that's made up and appointed uh, people representing different constituencies within kind of the ratepayer groups. After that rate fairness board process, there then uh, goes, it goes into a commission hearing process. And in this case, uh, in accordance with kind of Proposition 218, which governs kind of the setting of water uh, utility rates, there are two hearings that are held within the commission that have to be publicly noticed and that members of the public are able to offer comment uh, before the commission takes action on any rates that are set. I don't know definitively to say if that's the exact same process that's going to be set here because uh, that's ultimately at the discretion of the controller's office. And generally, would this commission be able to make recommendations or encouragements to the controller's office, for example, instead of one public hearing, encouraging it to go to a subcommittee like the policy subcommittee before becoming to the full commission? Yeah, I, I believe uh, similar to our 
uh, current rate setting process, the department will be involved in kind of working with the controller's office because we obviously have um, a portion of the work related to kind of the zero waste goals. And so in terms of the background work and the technical work and support that this department will provide, we'll be involved in those conversations with the controllers and we can bring those uh, recommendations up to them during that time. Thank you. All right, uh, next slide. Hold on just oh, a wait, second, oh, sorry, I think we might have a on, remote question point. Yeah, can, can everyone hear me? Yep. Great, so as to this recommendation, um, the controller's report talked about um, uh, an order by Mr. Nuru from 2016 that it found was extremely vague as to the, as to the department's role in the rate paying and the rate process. And so my, my question about this recommendation is what is the status of that order? If, if, that's, if that's part of the um, lack of clarity of the, over the department's role, um, how does the, the, the ballot initiative address that? Or does, is there something else that's needed to establish some clarity? Yeah, that, that may go into an area I'm not quite familiar as far as what would supersede that, that order, uh, but until the, the measure is enacted, I would assume that the order is, is still in place. However, uh, there's obviously <coughs> different leadership in the Department of Public Works currently, so they could theoretically offer another order uh, to provide greater detail. Uh, I, I don't think, given where we are within terms of the rate setting process and when that's, when that's coming up, I believe that First, they'll tackle this to see whether or not this ballot initiative passes, passes in June to decide kind of what those next steps are. And so if it doesn't pass, then I'm sure there are gonna be subsequent conversations about what to do, what to do next. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, no, Commissioner Wald. Commissioner Wald. Hello. Yep. Do you have a comment, Commissioner Wald? I don't believe I do, but can you hear me? <laughs> yes, we can hear you. Oh, good. Uh, but I, I'm not going to comment now. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Commissioner. And you, you can hear us okay? Yes. Great. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, next slide, please. File. Uh, so this is uh, recommendation number three in the report, and the recommendation is that policymakers should consider codifying the mayor's executive directive 20-02, requiring departments to formalize their relationships with their friends of slash non-city organization and defining key components of those agreements. Um, the action here is obviously as, as a executive directive issued by the mayor, we're uh, under that guidance to follow that, that directive. And so any new uh, establishment of a Friends of Organization, and we're gonna talk about the dissolution of the Friends of Organization, or Friends of SF Environment Organization later on, uh, it would require following that directive, which requires us to go to the city attorney's office 
and the controller's office for review. Um, and then also to have that also approved at the commission level uh, in the compliance of all local rules and regulations. Uh, one action that this commission may want to consider, and this is an action uh, by a resolution, for example, is to potentially codify this within the departmental policy in passing a resolution that's ad adopting the measures for 20-02, uh, strictly stating that should the department in the future want to establish a friends of organization, here are the things that will be required. Um, and, and this recommendation comes as, you know, there, every mayor passes executive directives and, you know, through the passage of, of time, like there's directives dating back 10 years, 20 years, you name it, the mayor, those mayors have passed executive directives. This would clearly establish kind of the requirements for any future department head uh, to establish a, a friends of organization in the future. And we think that the recommendations obviously in, in the executive directive uh, by the mayor are, are definitely good recommendations uh, to put forward. So if that's something that is of interest to the commission, uh, staff would be happy to basically work on drafting that resolution for consideration of, of the commission in the future. New on, on screen. Right. Okay, Commissioner Hunter. So inside that um, directive from the mayor, item number four, each department's annual report submitted every July under administrative code. The department shall certify all gifts received by the department in the fiscal years. Currently, we do not have a department annual report. I'm curious if you have thoughts on where uh, we should action item number four of that mayoral directive. Um, so the, the gift reporting is, is actually actually done and posted on, on our website uh, for the public to see in accordance with kind of the rules and that's actually handled by our chief of policy and his team. Um, so that is something that we currently do comply with in accordance with uh, city disclosure rules. And item number two speaks to posting this on the website, specifically item number four. I'm wondering, Charles, if it might be an alternative recommendation to include in the commission's report as opposed to the departmental report any donations received from the department just to increase transparency. Yeah, that, that's, that's certainly a recommendation that, that we, can, we, can, we can take if that's what this commission would like. It's actually one of the items later on in terms of Kind of receive how this commission would like to receive updates and so uh, some of the ideas we did have in fact include you know reporting any gifts received uh, prior to any full commission meeting and putting that into director's report even as a written memo um, and then also providing updates on any kind of major ethics updates um, or disclosure updates to the commission at that time so that's a great suggestion thank you Go ahead. Uh, we'll go to the next recommendation. All right, so recommendation number four is that San Francisco environment and all city departments should proactively seek advice from the city attorney's office and the ethics commission when questions arise about city ethics rules and ensure full disclosure of relevant facts to facilitate accurate advice. Uh, the three actions that we've developed uh, are that the department will review our internal ethics policies and protocols and develop additional formal written policies as necessary, including seeking the advice of the city attorney and ethics commission. And the department will regularly schedule staff training on city ethics rules and new policies. 
The second is that the department will conduct annual staff briefings on the process for obtaining advice from the city attorney and ethics commission uh, in a way to make the process more accessible to staff. So staff have a very clear um, delineated uh, list of actions in order to seek that advice. Here's, here's the process to do so and here's who you contact uh, to seek advice. And finally, uh, as part of just beginning four weeks ago, one of the, the new requests that has been made within the budget is that we've requested additional city attorney resources uh, to ensure that there's sufficient budget to account for the additional work that we'd like to do with the city attorney's office uh, in terms of reviewing our contracts and other items. And so these are the three actions that we're proposing here. Um. Yeah, I'm really pleased to see that last point in there. Um, one of the things that I think um, is critical for a department like the Department of the Environment is to make sure that the things that, you know, with so much grant funding supporting the work of the department and so much, like and nearly every single piece of revenue that comes into the department is earmarked towards something. And a lot of that doesn't have, you know, in past years, we've had a lot of conversations in this body about how you know vacation time and maternity leave and like there's there's a term for it in the hr world is not necessarily part of what happens when a grant comes into the department and we have to cover that through other means and we don't have general fund dollars so therefore legal dollars don't naturally necessarily flow into our budget so i think that you know as a commission it's important for us i think especially to support that especially that third piece of that where um we want to make sure that we are as we want this department to be held up as a pinnacle of, you know, being ethical and, and, and in the same way that we have um, such a international reputation as being a leader in the environmental movement and in the work that we do um, pushing and promoting environmental policies in this city, I think we need to be equally seen as, um, as foot forward, face forward, you know, um, in terms of how we approach ethical decisions. And I think that um, making sure that we have as much access to help from the city attorney's office is really, really important. Commissioner Hunter. Uh, thank you for dealing with all of the questions. Um, the only two thoughts here on uh, department review of internal policies and foreign formal written notices. I'd leave it to Chair Juan if this is an appropriate item for the operations subcommittee upon uh, completion of that review, as I think increasing the um, robustness of the policy is important. I know when we did record retentions, for instance, they had not been updated in uh, quite some time. Um, on the second one for the annual training for staff briefing, the only comment that I would have here is I think it might be a good suggestion to make sure this coincides with the largest fundraising period as we go into Earth Month and Earth Day. So prior to soliciting donations, those trainings align with staff activities. Thank you. Those are, those are great points. Uh, this, is, this is Commissioner Wald. Go ahead, Commissioner. Uh, Thank you. I, I just want to observe that Commissioner Stevenson's point was, um, I think, inc incredibly critical. I had previously noted in my own review of this document that the fact that the department has to essentially buy, purchase the services of the city attorney's office is a real disincentive 
um, to uh, having the kind of comprehensive and accessible legal advice that is critical to ensuring that we are complying with all appropriate ethical uh, obligations and that it does seem to me that 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 if the city is uh, truly uh, committed to having this and other departments uh, do that that there does have to be some examination within the city uh, of the funding issue and the and the way the process is currently structured not just for our department, but for others. Thanks, Commissioner. All right. Okay, uh, next slide, please. All right, uh, this is recommendation number five, and this is SF Environment and all city departments should comply with the Mayor's Executive Directive 20-01 and ensure it timely and proactively discloses information to both the city attorney and controller's office. Um, this is kind of is a simple one uh, in my mind is that we absolutely should fully comply with a, any requests mm -hmm. from the city attorney's office or controller's office and I think that goes about, uh, without saying. Um, and that this department is committed to ensuring the timely and proactive disclosures of all the information, and more importantly, providing trainings to staff, um, especially around records retention and also disclosures that are required uh, under under the rules and regulations for the city. Okay, uh, next slide, please. Uh, this is recommendation number six, uh, and this pertains back to the Friends of organization. And the recommendation here is SF Environment and all city departments should work with the city attorney's office to comply with Mayor's Executive Directive 20-02 and create a memorandum of understanding or ensure the closure of the Friends of SF Environment organization and appropriate disbursement of its remaining funds. Um, so the action here is that in consultation uh, with the city attorney's office, the Friends of SF Environment has been dissolved. And in your packet today, uh, it was a letter that on 4-29-22, uh, that I sent a letter to the Friends of SF Environment organization formally ending any relationship. And as we discussed before, um, any new establishment would have to go through and follow the mayor's executive directive currently. And then obviously we have the commission resolution that we'll bring back to the commission. And related to the funds that are remaining within the friends of account, uh, consistent with the city's new behested payment rules, all decisions about the disbursement of remaining funds are at the sole discretion of friends of SF environment. So in consultation with the city attorney's office, uh, we were instructed that we are to have no, provide no direction or opinion to the Friends of organization about where they would disperse the remaining funds. Um, so we're ending our relationship and they are free to disperse the remaining funds uh, as, they so, as they so choose. And as noted in the letter, uh, we just asked that they let us know once they finally closed everything up, uh, just so we can have that documented and in our records that the organization is closed and the remaining funds have been dispersed.
Can, can we take one step back and can, um, for, for my edification, I think for the edification of people that might be listening who don't necessarily know how this all works, can you just talk a little bit about the Friends of organizations, how they've worked historically, and then what it means going forward and how they potentially could, the, the prior directive would change how we interact with them going forward or how the department interacts with them? Great. Um, happy to. So um, I, I do want to start by saying, you know, the Friends of organizations or, or are, is not unique to the department environment. Um, there exists other Friends of organizations. The library has a Friends of organization. The planning department has a Friends of organization. Pretty much most departments have Friends of organizations. Uh, the reason why these organizations are typically set up is to support kind of the mission and work. Um, and perhaps even more relevant and, and germane to uh, the point that Commissioner Stevenson raised is that this department, because of how restricted uh, our basically funding sources are, has very lit limited capacity to be able to spend money on goals of the city. And so these Friends of Organizations allow basically a vehicle to raise private money uh, to support the mission of the, the, the department. And um, it has done so. So I don't want to say that this Friends of Organization has been totally, totally bad. Um, and they have supported many of the initiatives and programs that this commission and the city has actually adopted as far as policies. So when you think about the Climate Action Plan, you know, some of that work was actually funded through the funds raised through the Friends of SF Environment because of all of those restricted sources that I talked about earlier that could not be used to fund that important work. Um, what dramatically changed is uh, the passage of the behested payment uh, legislation earlier this year, which uh, basically governed and restricted the ability to be, be able to solicit funds from these restricted sources and interested parties. Um, and in this case, this Friends of Organization, because of this legislation, it becomes a complicated relationship, which is why the directive was issued like, all right, you guys, all departments, you gotta go back and formalize these memorandums of understandings. You gotta clarify these relationships so that uh, it can abide by all the, the city's rules and ethics policies uh, that currently are on the books. So um, the decision here was made that <clears throat> while the Friends of SF Environment has played an important role in kind of advancing the policies of this entire city, that it's better for us to basically move in a different direction and advocate, as you've heard from members of the public, for funding directly from the city to fund these important and critical climate activities. And so hopefully that provides some context, but I'm happy to answer any other questions you might have. Can, can I ask a question, just a follow-up, that you say with the with the disband of these organizations, whatever funding that remained in with the organization is solely on their discretion, how are they going to handle the fund, correct? That, that, that's correct. And do we know how, like in your annual report, what is their budget size or what is their uh, revenue? So, so I, I believe the approximate remaining amount within the account is about $25,000. And this friends organization never need to report or to the commission or to the department at all in the past? Uh, so so this, they, they did work with the department in terms of like kind of directing where those resources would be deployed. And so this was the relationship uh, between the department and the friends of organization and kind of how they, uh, how the organization supported the department's goal. So that was, that was kind of the intersection, if you will, 
uh, between the work. And so uh, given especially the behested payment legislation that passed, this is why you know, the city attorney advised there needs to be a very clear line on you can't direct them anymore because they're now they're already a restricted source on where to put that money, uh, which is not allowed anymore uh, based on that behested payment legislation. Thank you. So generally, I, in reading the controller's report, this was the most concerning aspect to me. I think money without oversight is never a good thing, especially when we have such limited access to funds. Those funds could get misappropriated. Um, specifically in the controller's report, they recognize that, yes, Friends Of did have a board, but department staff did also have sign-off and direct these funds. Generally speaking, are any staff in a personal capacity still directing these funds? Currently to the state, no. Okay. So there, there is no direction of, of anything from staff and involvement from staff in the Friends Of organization. And vis-a-vis, -vis, they have no input at all into where those funds are gonna be uh, directed. And just to ask it a different way then, so no staff currently holds a position with Friends Of? That's correct. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, Go ahead. Commissioner uh, Wald, and this may seem like overkill, but I just want to follow up Commissioner Hunter's question and ask my fellow board members to reassure me that none of us have any relationship with this organization. Everyone that I can see says no. <laughs> okay, well, I don't either. Nor do I. Um, this is Commissioner Sullivan. I do have a follow-up question. Um, so the, the, the actions indicated here are that the Friends of organization has been dissolved and also that the disbursement of the remaining funds are at the sole discretion of the Friends of Organization. Those two statements are a little bit in conflict. So my question is, is the Friends of Organization being formally dissolved? Is it an organization that is going through dissolution procedures so it will no longer exist? Maybe it doesn't already, doesn't already exist or will it cease to exist so that um, it, it actually, doesn't exist and, and, and can't disperse funds because um, organizations that don't exist can't disperse anything. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Sullivan. Thank, I, that's actually a great point of, of clarification. The, the action that we have taken uh, as a department is to sever our relationship with the Friends of uh, SF Environment. So, uh, We've been told that they plan to dissolve the organization, but that is an action they must take themselves along with the uh, disbursement of funds. Um, but that is what Got we it. have been told is their, is their intent. Got it. Thank you. Go ahead, Commissioner. Sorry, and to build off of this question again, the board that makes up Friends Of, are those board members in any way connected to any other city departments or any other... Um, city staff like was somebody's husband or wife like the city administrator previously was uh connected somehow to this organization 
Yeah, I'm going to have uh, Mr. Sheehan perhaps answer this question. Uh, Commissioner Hunter, can you repeat that question? So I know no direct part, no department staff is directly connected to friends of, but are we aware of any relationships, be it close friends, family, significant others that sit on this board that might be connected to the city government? Um, Charles, will you introduce yourself? I'm, I'm sorry. Ah, thank you for that, uh, Commissioner. Uh, Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, um, the external board members uh, for uh, friends may have connections to the city. They may have been former employees of the city. Um, in, in the past, potentially uh, former employees of the department. And so I think that answers that question. Are there, besides the directive from the acting director on hopefully not to engage in any capacity with friends of currently, are there any controls in place to make sure that there are no back and forth or conversations? Um, the point that I'm trying to drive home here is I just want to make sure we dot as many I's and cross as many T's <coughs> to make sure that we are not connected in any way, shape, form, possibly with how the disbursement of this $25,000 will be carried out. Sure. Um, I'm not aware of uh, any back and forth other than what has been recommended by the city attorney and transmitted um, over to friends like this is what the city attorney has recommended and how staff should act um, or interact with you. Um, so I'm not aware of any other back and forth beyond that. And if I might add here that, that in the letter uh, transmittal to them, uh, which was also delivered and sent to all staff within the department, it does clarify kind of that prohibition that the disbursement of funds is up to the discretion of Friends of S Environment without any input from uh, the department. So that did go out to staff the same day that it was sent out to the Friends of SF Environment Organization. I just want to say thank you for answering all of these peppering questions. I realize that this is a very complex relationship that eventually has to come to a close, but making sure that we are doing as much diligent follow-up as possible helps ease my anxiety for lack of a better word at the end of the day so thank you both acting director and staff for clarifying sure thank we, you and we appreciate the questions these are exactly the questions uh, that we want to be able to answer in this in this setting so we appreciate kind of the thoughtfulness on, on asking these questions because they're questions that the public may have uh, related to this so with that uh, we'll go to the next recommendation uh, so this is recommendation number seven uh, SF Environment and all city departments should work with the Office of Contract Administration and the Department of Human Resources to designate employees who have contracting per or purchasing responsibilities, including those who participate in contract negotiations and revisions, and to ensure all training requirements, including mandatory ethics trainings, are met. Uh, the action here uh, is that as of 2021, and so this actually uh, began already, uh, all SF Environment staff are required to take the biannual online city ethics training identified for designated employees with contracting or purchasing responsibilities. Training is actually part of every new employee's onboarding process. So when you become a new employee of the department, you uh, must undertake this training as part of that onboarding. Um, and in summer of 2022, uh, we'll actually be doing another uh, all staff training with the city attorney's office to, again, uh, I think the point here is that 
this isn't a, a one-time, uh, ethics isn't a, mm -hmm. a one-time fix. And it's an ongoing process that we need to continually ele elevating through discussions and dialogues and meetings and trainings. Um, so for example, today we just had a training with kind of all of our senior managers and program managers about the behested payment legislation rules. And we really wanna make sure that everyone has all of that information and is able to ask questions uh, to the experts. And in this case, it was representatives from the city attorney's office who was kind of explaining the rules to us and also answering questions about specific programs that are currently done and are these allowed or not allowed and that's the kind of dialogue and open dialogue we want to we want to create and the culture we want to create uh, and then beginning in 2023 uh, there will be an annual requirement to complete the training uh, to align with the filing deadline for form 700 filers which is april 1st and so uh, basically it's actually kind of lining up with uh, commissioner hunter's recommendation to try to do this all before the earth month celebration so all of these activities would, would lead up to April, including the annual training that we would want everyone to, to complete, as well as the filing of their Form 700 forms uh, going into April. So I think it fits nicely into that timeline that was discussed earlier. And uh, the second is that, uh, in addition, this is a, a new request that, that was made to the Mayor's Budget Office for additional support uh, to help us with kind of the budgeting, ethics, contracts, and grant compliance. So I just wanted to put that out there that, that we did make a request to have additional support to make sure that we had an, basically another pair of eyes um, on all of these, um, these number of grants and contracts that we have going through our, our department. And you know our department is, is small but mighty. Uh, and that mightiness comes from the number of grants that they go out, that the staff go out there and are always out there trying to get but we have to make sure that everything is done uh, in accordance with all of our city rules and processes. So we've requested additional support to ensure that that happens each and every time. I've never, uh, yeah. um, I have lots of thoughts and questions. Um, one of the things that has uh, struck me and really risen to the top for me after reading the controller's report is uh, a definitional difficulty in understanding sort of the difference between something being articulated as a gift and something being articulated as a sponsorship. And I think that the department specifically is in such a uh, specific place where, again, as you just stated, and as we've all known, um, going through the budgeting process, that you know, there is so much conversation around uh, getting grants and getting funds in the door to be able to enact the amazing policies and the amazing things that the city does with regard to the environment. Um, and a part of me just wants to say that this is an amazing opportunity for us to say, okay, let's just stop that whole process and let the city fund all the work of the department. Um, and then all of that oversight in the day-to-day -day way around grant making, grant writing, and getting sponsorship, and making sure that we're following all these rules doesn't need to happen, and that extra role doesn't need to come on board because we can just be sponsored through the city. So I want to take a chance to say that. Um, but I, I'm wondering, my question for you really around this is, in that training and in the new behested um, payments rules, is there clarity around things like gifts versus sponsorships because to me this is one of those things that i've never quite understood because i go to an earth day breakfast and i see a big marquee 
a big marquee with a bunch of logos on it. And I know that people have given wine at the Green Business Awards. And I know that people have, you know, done different levels of sponsorships, not people, organizations. Um, and it's unclear to me, uh, even sitting here after going through the ethics training that we have to go through, where that line gets drawn. And so I'm hopeful that um, as you're talking about this training that that line gets really clear because as long as we are in a position um, or the department is in a position where we're having to go out and solicit these funds in order to do the day-to-day -day operations of the department, it's absolutely critical that every single person who has any touch point on that really understands that. And I don't think that has been the case to date through no, um, certainly through um, uh, oh, sort of uh, a lack of understanding there, but um, I think that I think that the training needs to be better, and I think that that needs to be incredibly clear. Um, this might be a good time to introduce our, our deputy city attorney that we have sitting here, Sarah Crawley. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start, uh, and then obviously turn to her if she has anything to, to add. Uh, I do think that the line is very clear. Uh, when it comes based on the new behested payment legislation of what is allowed and what is not allowed um, in terms of sponsorships versus kind of soliciting like for, for funds. Like either is actually, those, those are one and the same. Uh, so if they are a restricted source, and so if, if we have kind of a relationship with this organization, we are not allowed to ask that organization for funding for our own department or funding to another uh, and that's the behested payment side, like a funding to another organization to support uh, something. So we can't even make that request, and that is now no longer allowed under the new legislation. Um, and you bring up, I think, a very relevant point that that the reason why in the past these funds have had to be raised is because there are no dollars within the department to host things like the Earth Day breakfast. And it brings up another point that you know, the behested payment legislation was passed this this year. So the activities that were done prior to this year, so it, it, there was no, like, I wouldn't say there was no illegality, I guess, is maybe the way to say it. And so I'm going to get stopped at some point by our deputy city attorney. But uh, um, in terms of how we were raising funds and requesting sponsorships for those events, they're just no longer, we're no longer permitted to do that now. And that's clearer. Um, and I think with the issue around kind of the recology issue in particular, obviously that's elevated in terms of public profile based on kind of all the other activities and things that have been noted uh, with recology. And so that just takes on a different perception, um, which is ultimately kind of what we're, we're trying to, to safeguard is that, that integrity and what all the commissioners have said, that integrity of this department in that you know, as we're going through a contracting process, you know, there's an umbrella that gets put on in terms of you know, those sorts of requests and uh, those sorts of activities. Um, and those things are really important to be followed. And that's why we're actually asking for this additional support because the current resourcing at the department isn't enough to ensure that. Um, and, and to just make sure we don't miss dot, dot any I's and, and cross our T's, we want to make sure that we are dotting our I's and crossing our T's at every single instance because. You know, I would say even if this department, and I hope this department is successful in getting, you know, all the funding we need to advance this important work, there will always be a component, I believe, just based on the work itself that will require, that, that will basically 
benefit the public for us to, to basically seek grants. And there are federal grants, there are state grants that are align closely aligned with our climate goals. And you know, one great example is you know, all of the money uh, President Biden's administration has, is putting forth to electrify kind of our transportation sector. We need to be you know, out there trying to get those dollars into the city so that we can advance our goal and then electrify our transportation system. And I don't think that necessarily stops even if we get funding. What I do think happens is we get to scale that work and also make sure that the work is done uh, appropriately in accordance with any rules and regulations in the city. Thank you. Looks like I didn't get slapped by uh, our deputy city attorney, so I didn't say anything <laughs> yeah. too bad. No, I, I agree with what you said, and I, in particular, just want to underline the point you made, Ty, that um, there's, there's no real distinction between sponsorships and gifts when it comes to the behested payments rules and other gift restrictions. That's great. Thank you. Can I ask a question uh, related yep, to the additional position? Um, can you explain a little bit the current staffing situation that related to contract and um, uh, grants compliance? And when you're adding this position, uh, what will be the responsibility and who will be the direct reports to? Um, and so we're, we're still working out kind of the details of organizationally where that would sit. Um, but my initial thought is that the uh, current staff that deal with budgeting uh, that deal with contracts and the consolidation of everyone that actually deals with kind of grants uh, or those centralized grant functions uh, would report uh, to this individual and then that individual would provide that oversight over the process. And so uh, again, having someone who's, who's kind of dedicated in that role allows for that oversight. And also, you know, it's, there, there are judge, some judgment calls that have to be made, right? Because you know, as clear as we like right. to think all rules and regulations are, you know, there are always circumstances and situations where you, you, you have to start putting, you have to put your thinking cap on to say, does, does what applies here? And having kind of someone in that kind of strategic role to provide that first layer of oversight. And then obviously to work through the director and then also if need be with our city attorneys and our ethics commission, like, that, that first layer, I think, of, of control is, is really important to the process. And then it ensures that we make sure those other checkpoints are hit as they are needed if things are not clear. The reason why I ask is I'm just thinking, like you said, it's a really robust department that have so many contracts and grants that going through at a different time frame is yeah. not typical like July to June kind of grant period. I actually wondering if one additional position, is that even enough? Has that been assessment has been done? or to figure out how to really structure it to make it a sound uh, department. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point too. And um, unfortunately, given, given the timing of, of kind of everything as far as this report and also uh, myself starting, we're right smack in the dab in the middle of a budget season right now. And so I, what I was uh, proposing here is that we know we need additional controls as to get some additional help now that could then do that strategic look, I think Commissioner Wan, you're alluding to, to determine what other resources are needed to actually have a very robust kind of contracting grants budgeting team that, that kind of meets the standard that this commission wants to uphold. And so that first position is really kind of to help lay that framework and develop that framework uh, for what other resources we might want to request in a future budget cycle. This is Commissioner Wald, and I, I think I may have missed something uh, here. Uh, 
Director Gill, and I apologize, but first I want to say thank you for moving uh, so swiftly and so comprehensively, comprehensively uh, to address um, the recommendations. I, I'm very impressed uh, as we go through what what you have done and what you're proposing to do, but one thing that I was wondering is whether or not you've given any consideration to some to a position like um, an ethics officer for the department, even ideally uh, or prospectively, uh, because I I agree absolutely with what you said that again and again there are going to be um, there are going to be questions that require um, a judgment call and you know I take these courses the ethics course every single year I'm a lawyer I'm used to thinking about these kinds of issues and they are not uh, crystal clear even. Uh, to me, after multiple years of um, having the training and the notion that the department might have someone whose job it was to be an in-house advisor to people when those questions come up um, so that they don't have to hesitate uh, even for a minute. Uh, before they can get the answer to the question while it's at the, on the tip of their tongue. Or somebody who is responsible for answering those questions and identifies as such to everyone. Uh, thank you for your, your comments, Commissioner. Um, I absolutely agree, and I think that's, that's, that is the intent of this position that we're requesting. Um, at a, an appropriate senior enough level uh, to be able to provide that level of guidance. And I think it's also important to note that, you know, it's, it's easy to, to always assign someone to be kind of an ethics officer, if you will. And in large organizations, a lot of times you will have kind of ethics officers. And it's equally as important that we all understand kind of our role in kind of supporting kind of the, the ethics culture, like each, each individual within the department is kind of a safeguard and and I've had conversations with staff that you know we to each other are, are, are sources of information right so as there are questions the most important thing is to a have a resource you can turn to B know that you don't have to assume anything if you're not sure ask the question and then the question goes to who do I ask that question of or who do I direct that question to and in this case, it would be this uh, initially this senior person, but it could be anyone in the department, uh, for that matter, to seek that initial level of guidance and then elevate it as necessary until we get to that appropriate level of certainty. And that includes going to you know our our city attorney's office, going to the ethics mm -hmm. commission as necessary. So all all within that process uh, that we definitely want to have in place and the culture we want to have in place. So if I could just add one follow-up question. So the person is not specifically um, the supervisor, for lack of a better word, of the contract people. It's 
it's a broader role than that? That was the initial thought, and I'm happy to, um, as we kind of move forward in this, bring back kind of a, a job description uh, for this role, if, if that would be helpful to the commission and, and they're interested of kind of the responsibilities for this position. So it would be all of, kind of all of the above. So obviously they would have oversight over our budget, contracts, and grants, and also over our ethics components. So I believe that you know, in, in my review of kind of other organizations that we can find an individual with all of those skill sets. Great, thank you. And, and I'm sorry, I did not understand that from the get-go. Not a problem. Anyone else on the remote dial-in? Okay. Um, we are going on to the recommendation seven kind of continued on the next slide. Uh, and so this is, is more of an agreement with the recommendation that, you know, we are taking a look at all of the job responsibilities within the department to determine uh, which of these positions do have contracting and purchasing responsibilities. And, you know, tied with that, we'll make sure that the appropriate trainings are tied to those individuals and the disclosures are tied uh, to those individuals as appropriate. And uh, the department will work with the Ethics Commission to identify additional sunshine training to include in annual mandatory requirements. Okay, no questions, I'll go to recommendation number eight. Uh, recommendation eight is SF environment and all city departments should seek approval from the Board of Supervisors if the department wishes to charge fees for tours and ensure that this fee revenue is deposited and recorded in the city's financial system. Uh, the action here is, is a slight description also of, of these fee-based tours. So uh, as the report was focused on Recology, we looked back to you know when that last fee-based tour for Recology took place. So the only fee-based tour of Recology was in Q2 of 2014. Uh, the last fee-based presentation happened in Q4 2019. Um, and I'll give a little context for these fee-based tours is, again, uh, this was an attempt by the department to, to raise revenue for these kind of visiting delegations or tours that were taking up staff time, pulling them away from other responsibilities and to have them cover the costs of those tours. It was done on a very limited basis uh, based on what I've been able to see as far as it was not done regularly or frequently, uh, but it was done. and. Uh, there's actually a, a city process before any department uh, should decide to enact any sort of fee or charge. Um, so as such, and this happened, I want to note that this happened even before you know I began, that this uh, department has already suspended all fee-based tours uh, since that Q4 2019 tour, and that the department will seek approval from the Environment Commission and Board of Supervisors if the department wishes to charge fees for tours in the future and we'll ensure that any fee revenue is recorded in the city's financial system. And so this goes to, there's actually a, a process to set fees uh, that requires approval by the Board of Supervisors um, before you can start charging fees uh, of the public. And we definitely will follow any, any of those rules and procedures uh, should we ever choose to, to do fees again in the future. Okay, uh, any questions? Hunter. Just a quick question. So I noticed um, 
here you said that they'll follow up with the commission and the board of supervisors and your remarks you mentioned that there's a process to follow up with the board of supervisors is there a process currently in department policies that requires the department to come to the commission or is this a recommendation to come to the commission so that I'm not clear about whether or not the, the commission has an action before the fee is introduced before going to the board. I definitely know that the controller's office is involved in that process and then the board of supervisors must approve the fees as part of the annual salary ordinance. Um, what I don't know is whether the commission actually has to take the action before going forward. So that's a great question that I'm happy to kind of bring back that answer. And if this commission is interested, we could set that obviously as a policy that the commission has to uh, approve any sort of fee base uh, tour in the future before going through the other steps of the city process. Thank you. All right, uh, no questions. We'll move on to recommendation number nine. Uh, this was actually directed at the Department of Human Resources. So uh, the Department of Human Resources should consider requiring interview panelists to confirm that they have no conflicts of interest before participating in hiring panels and develop policies regarding these matters. Uh, so the department has already made a comprehensive list of all contractors and grantees available uh, to all staff. And so that's posted on our SharePoint page and that's updated quarterly. And uh, I plan to develop kind of a department policy uh, after kind of hearing feedback from the commission here. Uh, that I do wish to prohibit the use of contractors or grantees with a financial relationship from participating in any future hiring panels. And that panelists will be required to confirm that they have no conflicts of interest. And so here I do wanna uh, just bring this back that there is no citywide policy on this. And so there's, there's no prohibition that says you can't have a, a contractor or a grantee sit on your panel. This I think gets to the perception issue and the public integrity and trust issue that we were discussing earlier. And it's my recommendation that we just make it a, a blanket policy and that's something that I can do directly uh, that any future hiring panels uh, cannot have a contract or a grantee of the department sitting on them. Can you, can you give me an example of a hiring panel that would have had a contractor or somebody sitting on a hiring panel? Um, so I believe that that was noted in, in the report that uh, for several interviews uh, for positions within the department, Recology sat on the hiring panel for uh, the hiring of those positions. Do you know what years those were? I don't, I, I don't know exactly what years uh, those those hirings were Not done. for the department head position, right? Because we no, were not at all. Last. <laughs> <laughs> and the head of the, um, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, who select the hiring panel, by the way? Uh, typically, it's it's the hiring manager that's that, that works with our HR analysts to develop a hiring panel. And so, you know, we abide by kind of the HR's requirements for, you know, having a diverse panel and selection of the panel and the skill sets that are required to be qualified to be on that hiring panel for the position that's being hired for. Um, yeah, and so that that's typically the process. And so the hiring manager could say, and I will say that, you know, oftentimes it is a recommendation to seek kind of outside uh, people to sit on your hiring panel from other departments or outside organizations with expertise relative to the position you're hiring for because, you know, it just provides a different opinion. Uh, and in this case, I think it, 
it was, again, it's a perception thing of having someone that you're ultimately responsible for working with or regulating or developing policies for sitting on that hiring panel for the positions that are actually going to be helping to implement those or develop those policies. And so I think it's just a much cleaner break to just kind of stop that for all contracts in general, that there is a, a perceived conflict of interest when it comes to uh, sitting on those panels because by being on that panel and having that interest, uh, you may be steered in kind of wanting to hire a particular candidate uh, that benefits you rather than the department. So it just eliminates any of that uh, no, possibility. I'm just surprised it's not universal right. <laughs> across all departments. So uh, I think this goes to the commission's desire to be a leader here, and this is exactly what we're going to do in terms of uh, stepping up and, and doing going above and beyond. Yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, clearly, you don't want somebody helping influence hiring decisions who will then be a beneficiary of the work that that person is doing in the middle of their day-to-day -day life, and as we're, as we're talking about government bodies and government funds. Um, yeah, thanks for that clarification. Okay. Um, I think that uh, if I'm right, the next thing that we're going to talk about is the commission's role and all of this and the recommendations about the commission. Before we get there, um, I had a question that kind of goes back to one of the prior recommendations and again addresses this uh, funding issue with regard to the way that the department is funded. Do we have, do you have a, um, a number, like with regard to the new rules around behested payments? What percent of our budgets would be impacted? What percent of the department's budget or historical budgets would have been impacted by that law and that regulation? Uh, so that, that is research we, we haven't done as far as uh, backcasting kind of what, what would have it applied to and we're happy to bring that back if that's of interest to the commission. It's just, it's certainly an interest of mine in terms of you know, just really looking at the the challenge that the department faces with regard to how it's funded, and um, making sure that these um, these new moves, which are absolutely essential for public trust and for um, you know the integrity of our city departments in general, um, you know, I want to make sure that we don't tie our hands like not tie our hands. It should be tying our hands. Um, I want to make sure that we can still access the funding needed to enact the climate action plan. Like, is really what it comes down to. And if that means that we get uh, general fund dollars, great. Um, I would like to know the sort of uh, size of the problem, right? Um, in terms of what these very necessary restrictions do to our ability to do the important work that the department needs to do. Um, and so I, I might suggest we we could definitely could do that in terms of looking back to see how much. Uh, money was kind of applied to support these these programs but I, I think I'm just ballparking on top of my head it's going to dwarf whatever we prospectively need in order to implement the climate action plan so my suggestion to the commission may be you know for us to come back uh, and provide that comprehensive look at like how much money do we actually need to implement the climate right. action plan uh, because we're talking millions and millions of dollars rather than you know, hundreds the little, of thousands here and there. Right, yeah. and it may That's not have fair. been even hundreds of thousands in, in, in that case. So. That's fair. Okay, and, and so we'll be happy to kind of work with staff on, on bringing that back to you uh, at an upcoming meeting. Is anyone remotely um, on the commission wanting to speak? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, that was emphatic. All right, uh, so now we get to recommendation one. And so, as I mentioned, we kind of pulled recommendation one because uh, this deals kind of directly with the commission. And so recommendation one is uh, the commission on the environment should ensure that SF environment establishes a strong ethical tone at the top, modeling the importance of compliance with ethics laws. Uh, so what we've done as staff here are to propose kind of a series of recommendations uh, up for discussion uh, for this commission in terms of just getting feedback on the direction you would like to head. Uh, understanding that there's a lot more detail necessary for, for obviously you to take any action, but uh, getting some feedback from you now on, on what interests you and what direction you'd like to head and the questions you have will help to facilitate the next step in, in the discussion. So I'll just briefly read out those those outcomes. Can, uh, Director Ju, can I just um, note that Commissioner Wan le has left the meeting? Uh, so number one, the department uh, is identifying opportunities to inform the commission about future audits. So I think, you know, there are audits that happen all the time on items that are uh, relevant to the department environment. And I think a standing item in the director's report uh, noting where these audits are taking place or in closed session as appropriate, depending on the audit, uh, is something that's a good practice to make sure that the commission is informed um, of any and all audits relevant to the department, because there are audits that happen outside of this um, on different processes within the department as part of our kind of good governance uh, check. The second is uh, that the department is identifying opportunities to engage and inform the commission on contracts and grants. Uh, this relates to uh, whether or not the commission would like to consider having greater oversight over the issuance of uh, contracts and grants. Uh, the scale and, and scope of this would depend on kind of the commission's interest. Um, it's everything from the basic we could report, as, as we've discussed, on any contracts and grants, or it can go all the way to actual commission approval of, of all contracts and grants, or somewhere in between of contracts and grants over a certain amount uh, require commission approval. So that's kind of the, the range of options that are available to this commission, uh, should they be interested. and. Uh, we would need to bring back information on kind of what what that scale might be or that appropriateness might be. Um, what I would also note is this would, in order to not uh, too much impact kind of the schedule of kind of our issuance of grants and grants would sometimes have a quick turnaround. Uh, we'll just want to be cognizant of that as we kind of develop what that path forward is. Um, the next one is again about identifying opportunities to engage and inform the commission about major ethics updates. And we talked about this previously about just having this as an item in the director's report, summarizing kind of all the major ethics updates um, and gifts and, and those sorts. And uh, we're happy to do that. And the final one is what we're doing today, uh, which is hosting kind of a public forum to talk about all of these issues. And so from there, I'll, I'll open it up to any questions. And we do have a little bit of information and context uh, that Kyle has helped put together on what other departments do, uh, similar size departments do relative to like contracts and grants um, whenever we get to that conversation. Great, commissioners? Uh, this is Commissioner Allen raising his hand. Great, go ahead. Um, I, I would love to see that slide pulled up by Kyle right now, actually. And to me, by the way, recommendation one is, is really uh, 
the heart of the matter, I, I feel like, for the commission to assert its authority and really figure out a way to prevent um, the situation we found ourselves in um, a month ago from happening again. And I think knowing what the standards are across other city departments, um, I, I don't have a strong opinion as of now um, over what the contracting threshold should be. I Generally, I, I don't think it's also good for the commission to micromanage the department as well, but there needs to be some oversight over contracts and grants. And again, what that contract threshold is, I think will be dependent upon looking at what other city departments and commissions are doing and also the overall kind of scope and range of the Department of Environment's budget itself. So Kyle, uh, do you want to walk us through the slide as well? Uh, yes, Commissioner. Um, so as you can see in the uh, Commission authorization requirements slide, um, currently the Commission on the Environment um, does not oversee budget contracts and use incoming or outgoing grants. Um, in our comparison, uh, we did consult um, eight other uh, roughly comparable commissions in the city, uh, including the Arts Commission, um, which does have the um, oversight over budget contracts and use and grants. Um, over $100,000. Um, however, this is not required. Um, as you can see, the Commission on the Status of Women um, does not um, approve uh, budget contracts or MOUs. Um, that's the same for incoming grants. Um, they do have authority to approve um, outgoing grants that are at one time and 12 months or less. Uh, the Entertainment Commission uh, does not have oversight over um, any of these items. Uh, for the Fire Commission, they do approve uh, budget contracts that are at least $25,000. Uh, the Human Rights Commission um, does approve budget contracts. The uh, Human Services Commission, I should say, um, approves uh, budget contracts and outgoing grants that are over $29,000. They do not deal with MOUs or incoming grants. Um, the Small Business Administration does not have um, authorization oversight over these items. Uh, the War Memorial Board of Trustees finally um, does have the authority to approve budget contracts as well as MOUs, but does not generally deal with grants that are incoming or outgoing. Um, this is Commissioner on raising his head again. Um, and. Uh, Kyle, a quick follow-up question. How were these commissions selected? Uh, and more to the point, um, was there a reason why PUC wasn't included in, on this table? Maybe DP, um, future DPW as well. I'm curious. Hi, Commissioner On. This is uh, Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. Um, we asked ourselves this question a couple weeks ago when we started thinking about preparation um, um, for this uh, meeting. And I think our, our, our first and probably main ask was to look at commissions and or departments that are kind of like-sized, um, may have you know similar activities. And so um, we didn't take into the full breadth of commissions and departments here. I think one of the reasons why we didn't look at the SFPUC commission, um, and as you know, Director Ju and myself are very familiar with that commission, is just that they are so large. <laughs> And their contracts are so large; it just it wasn't a like sized. Um, you know, if I had to kind of pick out one thing on this list, I think the Arts Commission is probably the most like our department and our commission. And so that's that was our intent when we did this uh, project. 
That makes sense. I, I think for a clarification, though, do we have a slide that just shows the size, maybe like the average size of a department environment grant or contract and the scale of what we're dealing with? Sure, that's a fine follow-up item. So I, I think knowing that and just putting, being able to measure accordingly, because I, I mean, I think this table is first of all a lot of work and I, I really appreciate staff putting this together. I think this is good context for us to have. Um, the reason why PUC comes to mind, of course, is its connections overall to, you know, energy, you know, um, utilities of the city and department environment. It doesn't, it's not a clean overlap, of course. They're, different books of work and of course of a totally different size and scope but um it's relatable and that's why i bring it up too so that said um I, I think just knowing like how many grants are even being channeled right now through the department and then how much the commission should be involved uh again like what is the contract threshold amount and then overall the, the question the commissioner should ask themselves too is how much more work are we willing to do like uh you know to acting director Drew's point too we don't want to uh approve every contract uh or assert our authority over every contract and potentially hold up the day-to-day -day business of the department too so there's a balance to strike here in other words Uh, this is uh, Commissioner Wald. It, it seems to me that in addition to the specific question we're talking about here, namely how involved should we be before these things uh, come in that or, or are signed, uh, that we should have a better understanding than we have of where the funds that are supporting the department are coming from. Uh, in other words, even for, let's say we do uh, adopt a policy of reviewing certain contracts, I think it would be advisable for us to be informed at least about all the contracts and grants that the department enters into. I have never served on the operations uh, committee, but I have, so I don't know what you all do, but I have <laughs> noted, uh, I have noted that when we do the budget, we are not provided a list of the funding sources of the department. So I don't know if the operations committee uh, does see that, but I think that we should all see what those sources are, in part because we might have conflicts. I think that's a good point. I mean, Commissioner Wall, this is uh, Commissioner Stevenson. I think that um, in my experience on the Operations Committee, which I have not um, been part of those budget discussions for a couple of years, but generally speaking, sort of uh, programmatic area by programmatic area, you do see the revenue sources for the major grants that are funding those program areas. I don't think that we ever saw a single comprehensive list of everything all in one line in one page, but definitely area by area. Um, the budget discussion at the operations committee level did break that down. Um, I also think that whatever we adopt in terms of, I think it's a great idea for us to get to see all of the incoming revenue sources in one place. I think that we would need to do that probably on a rolling basis based on the way that the grants come into the department. Um, it's not 
you know, we, we always have this issue every year when we talk about the budget that, um, you know, we do the two-year budget planning cycle, but our budgets don't really work like that because we have grants that start mm -hmm. and stop at various times. So I think we need to accommodate that as we look toward creating that list. Commissioner Hunter. Um, generally on this budget item and then a few general thoughts. Um, yes, I would agree with Commissioner Wald. The budget presentations to date uh, could use more detail or enrichment or to deepen our understanding overall. I have found them to be insufficient to provide the level of depth that I would expect. Having served on the PUCCAC, it is night and day in difference, the depth that one goes into over the other. Additionally, um, President Ahn's point on the size of the commissions versus our size of the commission, with CAP, I think we are about to enter into a new um, era for the Department of Environment, for lack of a better word. Rather than asking department staff to come with uh, a singular recommendation on uh, the commission's role in reviewing these, I would instead request a few different levels of review, just because if we do incur um, more general funding, I would wanna make sure that we understand how much work to take on. And then uh, to your point earlier on, on general funding, I think it is uh, the mandate of this commission to now carry forth a aggressive ask to the Board of Supervisors and the mayor for general funds. I do not think we'd be in this situation if we got uh, general funding from the city itself. Mm -hmm. I don't think Friends Of would need to exist. Um, prior um, directors and staff have really taken up the gauntlet themselves to move forward with the budget process. I request that no longer be the case. Uh, the commission does direct the department, but we do serve the public. And serving the public, make sure that we abide by our ethics rules, but also we carry forward the amount of environmentalism. To do that, we need to get you funding. Besides all of that, <laughs> um, generally speaking, there were a few points brought up today that I personally would strongly recommend, um, including the stopping of anyone with conflicts on hiring panels. I think there should be an outright prohibition on fee-based tours for this department. I would also request that if a new Friends of SFE were to be formed, that that take place over a extended period of time. I know that the department has immediate needs, but in reality, the operations committee, the policy subcommittee, need to basically convene working groups if we are to put forward a new list of recommendations on how Friends Of should exist, if at all, in the future ever again. Generally speaking, I also want to thank the acting director. Um, this level of detail was incredibly refreshing from the department. I think the thought that you and staff have put into these recommendations is great. The last question I have for the director, though, is, um, all of these are uh, timeline Q2 2022. <laughs> um, being a program manager myself, you have about 90 days left. <laughs> so I'm curious on how you feel about this timeline. Um, and then, of course, I'd be curious to hear from other commissioners on any of the uh, points that I uh, quickly ran through. Um, so I'll, I'll address that question. Um, the Q2 timeline really was put there because this is, this is a top priority. Like, in my mind, before we can 
really like restore the public's trust to allow us to begin to work on all these amazing policies that we have to implement as part of the climate action plan. Um, we need to address these issues uh, first and foremost, right? To begin to start to restore that public confidence, which was unfortunately eroded uh, based on the stories before. And so this is why, you know, I do want to complete these tasks by the end of Q2 and also come back to the commission, whether it's at the operations uh, subcommittee or to the full commission, kind of a report back on where we are. So our goal is to hit every single one of these by the end of Q2. Um, does it mean that this may not be complete by then? Absolutely. Like we, we may still be having the conversation with the commission of, you know, what level of contracts do you want to, do you want to have? Because we need to bring you back more information based on the feedback we're hearing here. Uh, so that you can kind of determine what that level is. Um, so Q2, I, I want to try to get to all as many of these as we can. Um, this has definitely been prioritized by the team at the department as well. And so uh, it is not just me working on this. There is a team from the folks you have here in this room, from our chief of policy, our commission secretary, our executive projects, uh, Anya Deepak, our deputy director, uh, Jennifer Cass, and many others that are committed to getting these uh, changes implemented as fast as possible. And so um, our goal is to, to get there. So I, I really do want to get there, and I think it's the goal of everyone to, to try to get to these as soon as possible. And I don't think there, there are challenges that are so uh, insurmountable that we can't achieve them within the timeline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. President On, where would you like to take this discussion next? Um, I, I appreciated the way Commissioner Hunter actually wrapped up a number of items. Um, and, you know, one thing I, I'd really want to laser focus on again is that last recommendation for future follow up. So knowing and just to confirm for the 24th, are we still convening again um, as a full body? Um, so we were going to bring that up in, in the director's report and, and new business. Uh, right Go now, ahead. that meeting currently is uh, still calendared. Um, but we can discuss kind of that more fully in, in, in those two areas. What I was going to suggest was if uh, we could agendize this for future discussion, I, I think that would be helpful with the further follow-up around, you know, essentially the scope of the department's budget and, again, being able to put our finger on um, how much we need to assert ourselves as a commission. Okay, uh, that, that's great feedback. So we'll, we'll, we can work on that and then also... Uh, kind of the request around the information on the number of contracts, like information that you're going to need in order to start having that kind of detailed conversation on uh, contracts and grants. So uh, typical size of the grants, number of grants, um, how long mm -hmm. the process normally takes. Uh, and, I, and I do want to note just for, for the benefit of the public, and it goes without saying that, you know, all of the contracts that we're, we're issuing now uh, fully abide by all of the city contracting rules that undergo review by the city attorney's office. So there's there's no need to worry or to feel that if we don't get this done like right now, uh, that we're somehow missing something. Uh, we are fully complying with all rules and regulations as, as it relates to contracts and grants. Uh, what we're talking about here, which is a great conversation, is the additional oversight that this commission uh, wants to have uh, on that process. All right, if there's no more discussion, let's open it up to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? 
If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Can you hear me now okay? Yes. Okay, it's David Pilpel. Uh, I have some fairly detailed comments on this item, as you might expect. Uh, I anticipate that I may need a little more than three minutes, probably three and a half or four minutes, so that I don't speak too quickly, and I, you, some of you may want to take some notes. Um, so I have already communicated some thoughts on this matter to Acting uh, Director Tyrone Jew, and I believe that he heard me very clearly. I support the Acting Director and the Department's approach to this issue and the recommendations presented in the matrix. Um, I urge you to commit to at least one special follow-up meeting uh, on this issue, uh, perhaps two or three months from now, and to incorporate um, other follow-up reports um, as necessary. Um, the mayor's executive directors, sorry, executive directives that are uh, referenced in the slides are not available to the public. Um, I think it would be great if the mayor's office posted uh, executive directives when they're issued um, and include those from past administrations. It is incredibly difficult for the public to get access to things like uh, mayor's executive directive. Um, on rate setting, to my knowledge, there is no written guidance for uh, environment department staff interacting with recology uh, now or in the future, during or outside the rate setting process. Um, clearly, we need an ethical and productive working relationship uh, with Recology. There's a lot of history there, and we should have the, the good aspects of that and avoid um, any problematic aspects uh, there. So I think the department could create written guidance about those interactions. I'm unsure if the commission needs to see written policies and procedures for staff uh, to implement the recommendations here, but perhaps just assuring uh, the commission that those written policies and procedures have been developed and disseminated in the future would uh, suffice. I understand that there's uh, a fair amount of work to uh, do in this area. The department, in my view, should review its conflict of interest uh, code regularly. It's required to do so anyway, but perhaps now is a great time to ensure that appropriate staff are properly categorized. Uh, not everyone is appropriately a Category 1 um, Form 700 filer, um, and there's appropriate review of the, the COI code, I think, should happen. All department fee revenues should be properly accounted for and publicly reported uh, with the budget. I'll talk about that again in a second. I don't think it's a significant revenue source, nor should it be. Um, Specific policies and procedures are needed relative to subcontractors, subgrantees, and task orders. Who has to create, review, approve, uh, what level in the uh, department, uh, depending on tiers and, and 
all kinds of things. But specific uh, written guidance, I think, is needed there. Other city uh, commissions, and I appreciate the chart. I'll mention that again in a second. Other city commissions have various thresholds for approval of contracts and grants. I think that um, the Environment Department and Commission does not have those thresholds, and I think this commission could and should set those uh, in the future. I think those thresholds and the level of scrutiny should be roughly proportional to the money uh, and scope involved in that work. The department may also. I am very sorry, caller, but your three minutes has expired. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item has closed. Thank you, Acting Director Drew. That was very helpful. Next item, please. The next item is the director's report. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, acting director. This item is for discussion. Um, and, and I think part of what I was going to bring up here was also mentioned in, in public, earlier general public comment that uh, I did want to note that in the May 1st release of the mayor's budget, the general fund ask that uh, was approved by this commission was not included uh, in, the, in that budget. However, uh, I, I do want to note that uh, we are still in ongoing dialogue with the mayor's office. Uh, they've also indicated that they just weren't focused on general fund asks uh, at the moment, and so there's still time uh, to potentially add that. And so we're still engaged in those conversations. Uh, and you know, I'll just bring up like one of the reasons why we want to keep the meeting on the 24th uh, is to actually have a special conversation in case you know we don't uh, find that the funding is going to be inserted in there, and that this commission is aware. Um, and can take whatever action uh, they choose. Great, thanks. Commissioners, any discussion? Any public comment? Just. Oh, sorry, Commissioner Hunter. Great to meet you tonight. So glad that we had the opportunity. <laughs> uh, I realized that this special meeting was specifically about the current climate. Generally, for the next meeting on the 24th, would love to hear about uh, your plans as interim director to run the department generally beyond putting out the current fires that are in place, something to include in your director's report, uh, potentially. Okay. If, if I could possibly get uh, a little bit more time on that. So, so I honestly have been, you know, majority of my time has been focused on working with staff on, on this measure. So. That's been my, my priority as I've outlined, uh, as well as we're just entering into budget cycles. That's the next kind of thing where I'm being dropped into. Uh, I think I'll be in a much better position probably in the June meeting to be able to kind of have that kind of longer term conversation, which I think will also be informed by the outcomes from the budget conversations we're having. And so I'll be in a much better position to, to present that. Uh, but I believe in, if we do hold the 24th meeting to talk about the budget, we can bring back that information you had requested on kind of identifying some of those funds of sources, uh, sources of funds and revenue and where the money is coming in from to the department so we can have that discussion alongside with uh, any news we have on the general fund ask. Thank you. Uh, Director Drew, this is um, Johanna Wald raising my hand. Um, in your opinion, is there anything that we as a commission can or should do at this point in the budget process? Um, 
I believe at this point, like we still are actively engaged in conversations uh, with the mayor's office, uh, who still have the ability to kind of make adjustments and amendments within their budget proposal. Uh, I think the 24th timing is actually the, the perfect time to revisit this because we'll have uh, probably more information to share. Hopefully, uh, we might not need the meeting if we have uh, great news on our general fund request, but if we don't, I think that's where we would have the discussion on what other activities in the commission can discuss uh, what you might want to do from that point. Thank you. If there's no other commission discussion, let's move to public comment on this item, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Hey, it's David Pilpel. If you didn't intend to extend my time earlier, you could have let me know. I thought it was kind of rude to cut me off. I spent a lot of time preparing these comments. So I will conclude my comments now on uh, both items. So the department may also have agreements with other city departments and the commission might want to um, set a threshold for uh, review and approval of agreements with other city departments or other public agencies. The department should maintain all records, email, letters, memos, et cetera, related to contracts and grants. The commission, this commission, should assert a leadership role, as it seems like you are doing tonight on these issues, and highlight it in your annual report. Regarding the impound account, any changes and costs involved here should benefit both the public and the ratepayers. Otherwise, I would question uh, the use of the impound account to help fund the department. The city attorney's good government guide has general and some specific guidance about the appropriate role of commissions. See, for example, starting on page 13 uh, and in the next few pages after that, there's some very good and helpful language there. I believe that at the Board of Supervisors uh, Land Use and Transportation Committee meeting of November 1st, 2021, City Planning Director Rich Hillis reported that Friends of City Planning has been dissolved. The fee setting provisions in the charter and the admin code can be found in charter section 2.109 and administrative code section 3.7. I can't envision a proper basis to discuss audits in closed session, which was suggested. I would strongly discourage any talk of that. Uh, and finally on this, could you please post or mail me tonight's presentation with the commission authorization requirements slide, which was new tonight. I have not seen that and I would like a copy of that. Finally, the ban on gas powered landscaping equipment is back at the Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee meeting tomorrow morning as item one. Perhaps Acting Director Ju wants to comment on that and tell us what's happening with that uh, ordinance. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for your comment. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Hello. Uh, my name is Sarah Greenwald, District 2. I just wanted to uh, express uh, 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 solidarity with you in your work and uh, say that I'm, I'm glad to hear you are, uh, as, a, as a group, planning to um, enhance the clarity and transparency of your work so that you can handle uh, greatly increased duties and uh, the amount of money that you will have to be disposing in order to carry out the climate action plan. So um, I really look forward to seeing uh, you and, uh, and Mr. Jew in particular uh, uh, move forward. That's all. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, we can close public comment for this item. Okay, next item, please. The next item is item eight, new business feature agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, hello, commissioners. Again, Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. I think we've talked a little bit about some potential future agenda items, um, both in the director's report, um, and that may be the budget uh, that we need to discuss on the 24th. And so um, that, is a, that is an item that, that we may move forward with, obviously. There's been some talk about other future agenda items in the previous conversation. I've taken note of that as well. And coming up at the potential meeting on the 24th, and or after uh, the 24th and subsequent meetings, um, we wanted to bring to you a complete presentation on our EV program, as well as an update on community engagement as it pertains to our climate action plan. I'll pause to see if anyone has any questions. Any questions, commissioners? I have one, um, I guess, yeah, I have a question. Um, I know that it slows us down a little but I think that opening our, uh, the ability for people to participate remotely in the meetings, not necessarily commission members, but the public, I think has actually been net positive um, in terms of being able to get more people um, access to these meetings. And I don't know if that is a decision that's going to be made at the city level in terms of how we conduct these meetings, but um, if it's not going to be made at the city level and if it would be made at a commission by commission level, um, I would love to talk about that at some point in the future about whether or not we wanted to make that a standard part of our practice. I'm sure. assuming it might be a city thing, so sure. that's kind of my question. We can do that. There's a couple of rules and protocols around how we do these hybrid virtual meetings and they both involve local laws and rules as well as California laws and rules. And so we can do a quick bit of research on that and come back to you with uh, some detailed explanation. No, that's 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 certainly in order. Any public comment? I 
Thank you, Vice President Stevenson. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, we can close public comment for this item. Next item, please. The next item is adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 8.33 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks all.